Advancements in the medical field are giving nurses faster, more effective results than ever before. They should expect the same from their education, too. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format allows you to set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move faster through your program. So the faster you move, the more money you save. When you're ready, we'll be here. Visit capella.edu for a trial course at no cost to you. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. to the porch here on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, examining the Word of God, especially the example of the Book of Acts Church. We look at how they did things, and we attempt to replicate it. We dig deeper into Scripture, and in doing so, we find the church the Lord intended, not the one that man created. We don't believe, if you're here and you're a part of this community, we don't believe that the church we've seen over all these years, these decades, millennia, is what the Lord intended. He intended that the church would be his people. It would be a living organism. It wouldn't be a building. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and the world-shaking influence that the early Book of Acts Church had. We believe the church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire still falls. Porch was created as an outreach of Solomon's Porch, Inc., a Florida non-for-profit since January of 2000. Go to onsolomonsporch.org if you'd like to contact us, or if you have any questions, um, you can go to firefalltalkradio.com. There's ways to support us at the bottom of the page. We appreciate each and every one of you that do. We just simply ask that you give as the Lord leads. You can do it via the PayPal link, or we're also on Venmo, which is an easier app, less fees, more user-friendly, under at Firefall Media Group. But make sure you bookmark the Spreaker site. the only place you can hear us, though you can get archived Uploads to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. We've applied for Google Podcasts and a couple of others. We'll see what happens. But make sure you bookmark the Spreaker site, spreaker.com forward slash user forward slash Firefall Talk Radio, all one word, lowercase. And welcome. Welcome to each and every one of you. We appreciate you. We thank you. And we're glad that you're here. A new edition of our Overwatch was posted this past week. It's called Baby Steps to Babylon, Part 1. It covers where we are in the midst of this pandemic, um, showing how it's, we're taking steps towards a new world order and a final event or series of events that will eventually usher in the Antichrist. Not just yet, though. We've got some time to do what the Lord's called us to do. Make sure you listen to Overwatch. We've got some exciting episodes coming up. You can follow us on Facebook, both under Firefall Talk Radio, and the Overwatch page is under Supernatural Response Team. We always start out with choking. We start out with choking. Excuse me. (sighs) We always start out with praise reports and prayer requests. So, and... If you don't understand why, maybe you're new. We enter his presence with thanksgiving and praise. We don't enter his presence asking for things. We want him to know how much we love him. So first of all, I praise him. I praise him for the home that I have here to do this, to be with you. I praise him for my wife, my son, daughter-in-laws, my grandson, our furry kids. Some of you call them pets, but they're family to us. Everything that we have, every possession, all the technology, everything that he's given us to serve him in this world. I praise him for his protection over us. That Psalm 91 covering that is always in effect. We just have to apply it. 
and come into the shadow of his wings. I praise him for his ministry that he allows me to work. He saved me, he rescued me, and then he asked me to come work in the family business, which I've been doing now for 30 years. Um, I praise him for the dreams and the visions and the spiritual supernatural activity that's been around me over 30 years and especially lately. Praise him for his healing virtues. You know he still heals. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Believe him. Receive the healing right now in Yeshua's name that you need. I praise him to be able to praise him. Even though people may want me to be quiet, I won't. Um, I won't. I won't let the rocks outpraise me. I won't let the world outpraise me. I'm going to praise him. And the more the world tells me to be quiet, the louder I'm going to become. I praise him for his favor, his love, his revelation, the fact that he would even share things with me, take time for me. I praise him that after everything I did against him, against my family, against what was right, that he made me a new creation and gave me back my family, and he's allowed me to live for him in these prophetic times. I praise him for America. I know I say that every week, but I mean it. It has its problems. It has its flaws. Certain things have to be changed and will when he comes back, but we can still praise him. We can still get together even here online or in person or via online conferencing. I'm thinking about doing one for the summer, a C conference via Zoom since coming together probably won't be feasible. So I praise him that he allows us to do that. You know what, folks? I praise him that he's giving us the signs he's getting ready to return. Oh, I sincerely believe that. The signs are telling me, coming soon to a sky near you, King of kings, Lord of lords. So let's get ready. Now we pray. First of all, we pray for the Middle East. We pray for Israel and the peace of Jerusalem. We know that they just um, brought in their new joint government between Benjamin Netanyahu and Benny Gantz. And while the first 18 months will be Benjamin Netanyahu, isn't that interesting, um, And then Benny Gantz, I think in those first 18 months, Israel will prosper. And in the second 18 months, not so much. Um, Psalm 122.6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Well, we pray for Jerusalem. We pray for the nation. We pray for the people. We pray for America, its leaders, and its citizens at this time. That they would wake up. That they would do what's right before the Lord. We pray for the fatherless, the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice. Always, 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 every day I do that. Pray against the slaughter of the innocents, both in and out of the womb, both human and animal. We have really, really not taken care of his creation. We pray for the missing and exploited children, that they would be rescued, that they would be found, that those that do those horrendous satanic things to them would be exposed and brought to justice. We pray for the victims of sex trafficking, human trafficking, another satanic effort that has been going on for way too long. Pray for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. The media is not covering it, but it's going on even more so now as nations have isolated themselves and forced people to stay in place. Pray against the religious persecution and the anti-Semitism that's on the rise globally. The spirit of the Antichrist has grown bolder. It's getting ready for its personal unveiling, and we know First John 4, 3 warned us that it was already in the world. We know that. The Antichrist will be here soon, but guess what comes right after him? The return of the king. We pray for divine wholeness, health, and healing. As we get back to our divine design, we're going to run and not grow weary. We're going to walk and not faint. We're going to rise up with wings as eagles. I don't care what condition you're in right now. I don't care what the world tells you, what the doctors have said, what the report said. Whose report will you believe? We're going to believe the report of the Lord. So right now, in the name of Yeshua, I pray for each and every one of you, for my wife, for you, everyone that I know is dealing with some kind of physical 
mental, emotional, spiritual infirmities. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, I speak to you. I speak to the cells in your body. I speak to the bone. I speak to the tissues. I speak to the sinews, synapses, and everything. And I say, go back to your divine design. Go back to what the Father intended. Stop creating cells that are broken, flawed, corrupted, infected, or whatever. Create new cells that line up with the Word and the will of God. I pray for protection, each and every one of us. That Psalm 91 covering to be in effect for inspiration. For the inspiration, the fire of the Holy Spirit to be stirred up inside of you right now, even as I'm speaking, even as the vibrational nature of my voice comes to you, that it begins to stir up that fire, begins to stir up that spirit inside of you, and all of a sudden the embers catch back up and they burn. For the remnant to wake up. That's what we're talking about. We've been awakening the remnant to rise up and answer the call to action, which I believe is about to happen. I'll talk about that in a minute. I pray that those that have been called to bless would be a blessing. If you've been blessed, be a blessing. If you have received, be a funnel. Let it go through you. Let the kingdom of God, let those that are serving it, let those that need it, get it. Stop putting your seed in bad ground. Stop putting your money into corrupted pockets. And that the doors would open, not to us, just to us and Firefall and the porch and the documentary, which we're going to finish. I speak that by faith. It's been a battle, but it's going to happen. And to all the other things that he has told us to do for the kingdom, for him, are happening. Not going to happen. I'm speaking to them not as they are, but as they should be. That we would begin to prosper in accordance with his word and the open conduits of those blessings to fund the dreams and the visions and the missions would happen now in Yeshua's name. And I I declare and I decree that myself and my team, uh, SRT, Firefall, The Porch, we're going to become highly mobile and highly effective. We're going to take this word out there. We're going to take this fire out there. We're going to destroy the work of the enemy, and we're going to further the kingdom of God. Continue to pray with us for divine favor and the conclusion of legal matters that continue to go on that should have been ended, but we know we live in a fallen world and we're dealing with the fallen legal system, but right now let the king of kings and let the judge speak. And release my family, both my wife and I and my sons and daughter-in-law, from from what they're going through. And then finally, more importantly than anything I've said, we must pray for our lost family members. We must call them into the kingdom. We must claim them into the kingdom, out of the kingdom of darkness, translated into the kingdom of the light of the Son of His love. So, Father, we're just going to start from there. We're going to come to you on behalf of our loved ones, our brothers, our sisters, husbands, our wives, our aunts, our uncles, our, our blood relatives, our family, those that we know that are not born again, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. So we petition you right now. We call them in. We call them in. Send them dreams. Send them visions. Send them a- angelic visitation. Lord, we're we hearing that you're even visiting them yourself. If that's what it takes, then do so. We claim them. We call them in. We say, Hasatan, Satan, and the fallen, and your demonic offspring, let them go in Jesus' name. Let their eyes be opened, their hearts be freed. Let the chains fall off of them. Let them be rescued. So, Father, we love you that you did that for us. That even once Adam and Eve did what they did, once the serpent did what it did, you made a way. You made a way where there seemed to be no way, and yes, it took a long time to get there, but you set it in motion. You said it would be so, and it was. And then what you did was you sent your only begotten Son, Yeshua, Jesus, to die for our sins, to reconcile us to you, and to restore us into right relationship with you. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you did on the cross. We thank you for the love that you felt that allowed them to do that to you. It hurts my heart, Lord, that you had to do that for me. But I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. 
I am more thankful that you're alive. You're not a dead prophet. You're a risen Savior. You are the Messiah. You are the one who was slain before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God. And you are our Lord, our Savior, our Master, our friend, our brother. You are everything to us. You are the living Word. And we love you. We thank you. We thank you for sending back your Holy Spirit that emanates from the Father to walk with us and to teach us and to encourage us and run alongside of us and to keep us going, to lift us up and to dust us off, to whisper in our ear. We even thank you for the times he doesn't interfere and lets us make our mistakes so that we can learn from them. But now we ask, Holy Spirit, that you help us learn from them. You help us learn where we got off, where we made our mistake. But we thank you for the gifts. We thank you for the fruit. We thank you for everything that you've done and everything that you're doing. Bless this word. Bless this time. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds, and let us receive. And I just claim all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. I don't know if you can hear it, folks, but the spirit hit me somewhere in the midst of that. And if you hear a thud, it's me bouncing off the ceiling because that's what it feels like is going to happen. But we're going to make it. Here we are, part 20 of the Awakening Remnant. I don't think I've ever done a 20-part series, but he won't let me let go of it. But I tell you what, he spoke to me before we got started, and I believe Pentecost next week, next weekend, he's going to release me from the Awakening Remnant to take us into the assignment that you are awake now. If you're not awake by now, you're not going to be, and I have to move on. But the fact is, we're talking about the kingdom way. If you're going to walk the kingdom way, the only place you can do that is to walk in the kingdom of God. You've got to walk that path. You've got to walk that walkway. And we know that there are two contrasting paths. And it would seem like that they are parallel, but they're not. One is slightly off. It's like that one degree off, and it takes you to another place. But the path of the Lord, that narrow path of the kingdom, takes you straight to him. And we started by talking about Jeremiah calling for the children of Israel to walk the old ways. And in a way, he's been speaking that to us, that to walk in the old ways of his calling would lead to life, but walking in the old ways of the flesh involves death and destruction. If you walk in the ways of the flesh, you are subject to the law because you're not walking in the Spirit. Because to walk in the Spirit, you must be born again. And when you become born again, it removes you from that path and gives you light. Walking in the light is walking in the ever-present power of the Holy Spirit, which you can only do if you're born again. That's why in speaking to the church at Galatia, Paul says in chapter 5, verse 16, but I say walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit, then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and the desires of the flesh of the human nature without God. You see, it's not by human effort or works of the flesh, but by the freeing power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're going to walk in the kingdom of God, now listen to me. This is the topic that is very near and dear and close to me right now and some of my brothers out there. We're pressing in. We're finding the kingdom of God here on earth, and not the way that some of the false teachers out there have proclaimed it. 
they took an aspect of it. They promoted it. They branded it. They marketed. And that's fine. Even since the days of the book of Acts, there were people preaching the prophet, the gospel for profit. They were preaching for personal gain. No, that's not what I'm talking about. If you're going to walk in the kingdom of God and the precepts of the kingdom of God, then you cannot be caught up in this world. You cannot be caught up in your flesh. You cannot be distracted by the things of this world because the minute that happens, it pulls you out of the kingdom of God and into the kingdom of this world. But when you become saved, you know, remember Matthew seven thirteen, fourteen. The Lord said, red letters, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Well, the children of Israel were told to walk in those ways, and they said, we will not walk in it. We will not listen or obey, and their defiance led to destruction. Sadly, The church has done the same thing. They've been shown the narrow gate and the narrow way, and you know what they've done? They've decided it was too narrow for them. They didn't like the view. So they either widened it or walked a different path. Unfortunately for them, I believe that they're walking into their own destruction, and many have, and we're watching it happening right now. Walk in the good way. Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where is his presence? Where is his right hand? It's in the kingdom of God. The good way is his way. The way, the truth, and the life. Hebrews 9, 8. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing because that tabernacle was a tabernacle, an earthly one, made with man's hands. But the heavenly tabernacle, which he went into and took his blood and put on the corners of the altar, exists here in the Spirit through the kingdom. But the only way to get there is to be born again. Yeshua said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He's the doorway. He's the gate. He's the access point to the kingdom of God. There is only one way. There's only one way where the good way is, and it's walking with him in the Spirit in the kingdom of God. And that's where the awakened remnant, those that are going to serve him in this time, those that are going to do spectacular, mighty things in his name for his glory, not for any person, not for any denomination, not for any organization, but will only glorify him. That's the way. So what is the kingdom of God? Now, we've talked about this before. We've, we've done a couple of series in the past, but I'm going to take you to a different place. The kingdom of God, just by definition, Holman Bible Dictionary, is God's kingly rule or sovereignty. It's pretty basic. The Old Testament contains no references to the kingdom of God, but yet the Old Testament presents God as a ruler. Psalm 42, 7. For the Lord God Most High is awesome. He is the great king over all the earth. Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. But the interesting thing about the Old Testament concept of God's rule is that the administrators of that kingdom rule were the angels. And we see that very clearly in Daniel chapter 4, when Nebuchadnezzar wants an interpretation of his dream, and Daniel gives it to him. And what he says in Daniel 4 verse 17 is this. And he lays out what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. This decision is by decree of the watchers. 
and the sentence by the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets it over the lowest of men. These watchers, we've talked about them a lot. We've talked about the fallen watchers in Genesis 6, how they were supposed to watch over mankind and instead were seduced into cohabitating with the daughters of Adam, going into them and creating a race of hybrids, human hybrids called Nephilim, which created the need for the flood. Talked about that a lot. I've done many seminars on it. If you're really interested in that, I have uh, seminars I've done over the last 10 years on Vimeo. But the fact is the watchers were ruling over the affairs of men. They enforced the kingdom of God. Daniel's praying, and it takes three weeks for the the angel to get through, and it took Michael, the archangel, to leave his post as the prince over Israel to come to that gateway to allow the angel to slip through. All of that was done from a different set of rules. And these watchers made divine decrees, which were then enforced by God. So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God during that time was up there in the heavenly realm, was enforced by the angels, by the watchers over the earth. And if you don't know the Daniel 4 story, the madness of Nebuchadnezzar was God's way of teaching him a lesson about humility. And the watcher appeared, gave the decree, Daniel gave it to it, and that's where that story went. But basically it came down to this. Even the kings of the earth were subordinate to the power of God. So the kingdom way of the Old Testament was enforced by God through the angels, but in the New Testament there was a power shift. Those empowered by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords enforce it. That's us. That's the difference between then and now. And most people that are still praying for angels to do the job for them, most people that are still quoting Jehoshaphat and the way the angels did things there do not understand what I just said. They're still living under an Old Testament thinking. They don't understand the New Covenant. They don't understand the day of Pentecost. They don't understand the dispensational authority that the Lord gave to those that believed that were filled with the Spirit to go and do. So the Old Testament emphasis on his sovereign power over kings and kingdoms set the stage for the New Testament teaching where Yeshua made the kingdom of God central to his preaching. There are more than a hundred references to the kingdom in the Gospels. Many are in the parables, and we're going to cover some of them, and I'm going to lay them out for you, and hopefully you get it. I'm, I'm, what, I've learned some stuff from this teaching. I hope you get it too. But the kingdom of God was the central image that he was trying to get them to understand. Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, after John the Baptist was put in prison, Yeshua came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God was the heart of his message in the the parables. He spoke about it, but when you go to Matthew 13, which is where you should be, your Bible should be open, at this point in the porch, in our meetings, in our sessions, whatever you want to call them, I shouldn't have to tell you to open your Bibles. I shouldn't have to remind you that you can download these, listen again, study them, make notes. I shouldn't have to tell you, hey, share this with people. That's up to you now. Your children, you should be able to chew on better word. I'm, I'm not going to feed you like birds in a nest. I'm not going to feed you regurgitated word and you just sit there and go, feed me, feed me like little birds in a nest. That was 10 years ago when we first started the porch. We're so far beyond that now. If you're still doing that, you're in the wrong place. But go with me to Matthew 13, starting with verse 24. And this is the Lord speaking. 
the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is interchangeable. It's the same thing translated differently. He spoke in Aramaic, translated to Greek, and then, of course, they translated it into um, first the king's English and then our English. And by the way, the Lord doesn't speak the king's English, just so that you know. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us to then go and gather them up? He said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now we know the field is the world and the harvest is at the end. Those that have responded to the good news of the kingdom of God through Yeshua, the person of his son. They're not the tares. The tares are, for lack of a better word, the crop of Hasatan and the fallen. They've planted weeds. And I've got a revelation for you. Are you ready? You're sitting in buildings with tares. You're sitting in buildings and congregations and fellowships with people that are probably not born again. And when the final harvest comes, they're going to be put into that bundle. I know that's a shock, and I know that's upsetting, but that's your responsibility to preach the gospel. Now, contemporary Judaism did not like what he was telling them. They just wanted the coming of the kingdom of God to be the destruction of the wicked. They, didn't, they thought they were immediately going to be part of the harvest. But let's go on. So he gives us the overall view of the kingdom. Now, Matthew thirteen thirty one and 32, he compares it to a seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air can come and nest in its branches. And you've probably seen the image of a mustard tree gets pretty darn big. Well, the kingdom of God started out like a seed in the time of Messiah. And then it has grown, and it has grown, and it has grown. And we're at the point that it is growing into this huge seed. It illustrates the unexpected, undisclosed nature of the coming of his kingdom, it's going to start out small. It's going to seem insignificant. And then when it comes to full nature, you're not going to be able to ignore it. That's the kingdom, small and humble, but will become a glorious manifestation in the age to come. Then in verse 33, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Now, we've had three descriptions of the kingdom so far. Follow along with me. Okay, so now it's yeast. Symbolically, yeast is usually the symbol of evil, sin, compromise, false doctrine, as in the leaven of the Pharisees, Matthew sixteen six. But here... This is kingdom leaven. This is the best leaven you can ever get. It's got a supernatural, dynamic yeast, explosive nature to it. And when this leaven is kneaded into the dough, it expands itself. It overpowers. It grows to a place that nothing can stop its growth. So first we had the mustard seed, which grew to the tree. Then we have this yeast. Once activated, it expands quickly. And the woman that baked it hid it in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. 
Now, I don't have a complete revelation on the three measures of meal. Maybe it's three ages of the church. Maybe it's three aspects of the church. I don't know. I'm going to dig more into that. The easy one would be Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But I don't think that's it. I think it has three distinctive um, explanations. But this yeast has grown. And to those who are willing to hear the good news, those who are willing to hear, I believe what I'm saying right here, right now, more spiritual truth will be given. And the more that they get, the more it will grow. But see, that kind of lines up with another parable. But go back with me to Mark 4.24. And again, if you can't keep up, because this is a lot, I know some of you are going to do what you always do, not always, sometimes do, say, you fed me so much last night, I, I had to stop. i got to go back and listen to it again. Do that. Take your time. I'm the one doing all the work. You get to download it and listen to it. Mark 4.24, he tells them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you, and to you who hear, more will be given. That's yeast. What is the yeast of the Holy Spirit doing inside of you right now? What has he been doing with you over the last decade? What has he been doing with you since you got saved? He's been growing. Have you allowed it to grow? Are you letting it expand? Well, now we get to Matthew thirteen forty-four. another description of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Right attached to that same one, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So we hear that there's a treasure hidden in a field, the hidden treasures in secret places. This treasure is the kingdom the knowledge of the kingdom, the experience of the kingdom, the manifestation of the kingdom. And it's so wonderful that you sell everything you have just to have that field. Same thing with the pearl of great price. The pearl of great price is the price he paid to give you this kingdom. And you should want to sell all that you have to have it. It's worth it. It's worth it to give up everything that you have to get this. This is his great love. He's hidden it for his people. He's hidden it for his children. He paid that supreme price. And then at some point, the thief in the night is going to come, and he's going to rapture you away, away from that thief. Well, that could take me in another direction, and I'm barely into my notes. Okay, 1347, Matthew 1347, another comparison of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full they drew to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away, so it will be at the end of, age, of the age. The angels will come forth and separate the wicked among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And Yeshua said to them, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes, Lord, but they didn't. They couldn't until they had the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But right there we're talking about the evangelism at the end of the age. Are you seeing a progression here? He's given us the progression of the Holy Spirit from the time the foundation was laid to now. Now we're talking about evangelism. And then we see Matthew 20, verse 1, a correlation. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Why would you hire laborers to bring in the harvest? Harvest is great. Laborers are few. He's hired so many, but so many have not answered the call. So we had to hire other people. That's what that whole parable is about. And what you find out at the end is the second group that got hired gets paid the first rate as the initial group. And it shows the goodness of this landowner in his willingness to pay an equivalent day's wage to those who only labored for an hour of the prophetic time. 
he was as good as his word. And there should have been no offense taken by those who labored more, but we know the parable that they, they got upset, that they did more work, and those that came in late got paid the same. But you know what? His field, his rule, his sovereignty guaranteed him the right to pay more generously if he so desired. It's his kingdom. He can do whatever he wants with it. And, of course, we get the sense that it's the Gentiles' Jewish overtones. The Jews did the initial work through the prophets, and the Gentiles get grafted in, and they do the end-time work, and they all get the same reward. But here's the problem with that thinking. We're all grafted into the same vine. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. We're all one. He didn't come to start a new religion, came to fulfill an old one. There was never supposed to be a Christianity. It was all supposed to be Messianic Judaism. But the Romans, through the influence of Hasatan, called them the Christians in about 60 AD, and the label stuck, and here we are today, and, and many people see that, and that's why I don't call myself a Christian. I am a believer. I follow Messiah. And yes, that harkens back to the Jewish blood that flows through me, but I am just dealing with one vine, the vine of the king. Our father is fair and generous with all of his servants. The kingdom is always manifested in humility until the final day of judgment when the good is separated from the evil. But look how that was. It was presented as a dragnet, as a net pulling in all the fishes, both good and bad, and the final glorification of the manifestation of the end. But there's something interesting about the kingdom, and it's in Matthew 19, 24. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean he doesn't want rich men. He does. He calls them. Matthew was a rich man. Uh, Zacchaeus was a rich man. He had supper with him and then gave up everything he had. But here's the deal. The eye of the needle was a gateway that the only way a rich man can get through it was to get down off his camel. He would have to crouch down and the camel would have to get on its knees. Sometimes they'd have to unload it to, to bring it in. Here's the thing about the kingdom of God. And listen to me, if you think that you're just going to waltz into this kingdom, you must be stripped of all worldly things, all worldly weights, and self-reliance. That's what the camel represents. And to do so, you must, must get on your knees. You must give it all up to getting an entrance to the kingdom of God, where all those things and more will be given up to you. You must leave the old behind. Nothing you're taking with you has any value in the kingdom of God. And for anybody who's made this journey and is at that point, they'll tell you the same thing. Nothing I had before, even in, even what I was doing in ministry, equals in value to what's on the other side of that gate. Matthew 22, 2, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. So we went from the progression of salvation and the net to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He arranged a marriage for his son. He originally arranged it for the Jews. But guess what? They rejected it. They were too busy. They had other things on their mind. So he invited others, both good and bad, to take their place. The people of honor, the people that he did all this for, didn't want it. Now, some have figured it out along the way. Those are our Messianic brothers and sisters. But the fact is, he's chosen the poor of this world, poor in spirit, poor in wealth, to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him. How do I know that? Because James chapter 2, verse 5 tells me that. But even in the midst of preparing for this marriage supper in Matthew 22, he takes us to Matthew 25. See, Matthew seems to be the guy talking about the kingdom. He must have gotten it. 
because he's the one writing about it. Matthew 25, verse 1, The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now remember, we've talked about the five wise and five foolish. We've covered that in detail, but this is a different perspective. These ten virgins are a bridal party. Five came prepared for it, five weren't. Five realized that there would be a time lapse. There would be a delay in the arrival of the bridegroom, and they prepared for that. Five were foolish. They didn't understand times. They didn't understand the fullness of time. They fell asleep while waiting for him and had no oil in their lamp. They were not ready. They got shut out. This tells me that he's telling us to be continuously prepared and watching for him, to not fall asleep, to have oil in our lamp, to have the wicks trimmed so that it burns properly, doesn't smoke, doesn't create a bizarre flame. That takes effort. That takes diligence. But if you really love someone, would you? I, I don't understand why they fell asleep. I get it. I get it. They were waiting a long time. Just like the disciples in the garden, they fell asleep. They'd had a heavy meal for the Last Supper. They'd had some, some wine, and they sang, and they were tired. Folks, I got saved October 9th of 1988. I know the date. I stated a lot. That's my spiritual birthday. I'm not going to fall asleep waiting for him. I wake up each day expecting him. I go to sleep each night thinking it may be tomorrow. I think about what can I do today to further the kingdom of God, to be ready for his return. I don't understand people that are asleep. I, I knew Keith Green got it but back, I think it was at the 70s, when he wrote Asleep in the Light. He was singing about a church that was already asleep. I, didn't, I, I can't even fathom that back in the 70s, but now, here we are. If everything we're seeing, if everything you're seeing on the news right now, how are people still asleep? There are those foolish virgins, not prepared, no oil in their lamp. And I know this may offend some, but I believe the oil represents the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Some people have made a mouth confession, not made it to their hearts, and they are not filled with the Spirit. They're unprepared. We should be waiting. We should be wishing to enter the final phase of the kingdom with him. Luke 8, 1, now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with them. It is glad tidings to hear about this kingdom. I'm more excited now, today, March 20th, in my walk than I have ever been before. But you know what? I'm not as excited as I'm going to be tomorrow because of entering the kingdom. To you has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to those who are on the outside, all things come in parables. Mark 4.11. Not everyone's going to understand what I'm saying. Not everyone's going to understand the kingdom of God teachings or the revelations or the experiences of those who walk in it. And he's going to block out those that might understand who use it for their own selfish desires. There have been a lot of people that have come before, well-known, big followings that have taught on the kingdom of God. And I'm going to tell you right now, the minute they used it for their own selfish desires— I knew that they didn't have it from him. They stumbled onto the revelation. It's there. It's in the word. But the revelation did not come from him because he's not going to share it with anyone. He's not going to share the glory with anyone. He's not going to give it to anyone that's going to use it for their own personal selfish desires, self-aggrandizement, self-promotion, create their own brand. No, nope, not going to do it. It's only going to be used to further his kingdom and not any person's. So he spoke in parables, first to grab people's attention. Stories are easier to remember. If you are ready spiritually to receive it, you get it. 
The truth is concealed from those who, A, might oppose it or misuse it. And some people, he just downright blinded them so that they wouldn't. I do believe that. He offered it to everybody, but he knew who would do what. Now, I mentioned already kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, same thing. The Lord spoke in Aramaic. The gospel writers wrote in Greek, and then it got translated. But the same phrase means the same thing. The kingdom of God is the rule of God, the reign of God. The kingdom of God on earth is his rule and reign on this earth. It's not bound by men. It doesn't line up with man, doesn't line up with their thinking, doesn't line up with their politics, doesn't line up with anything that they think. He's not a respecter of man, but he is a respecter of relationship. And to those who seek him diligently, they will find him, and he will share this with them. Not speaking of a geographical area like the Holy Land or a temple, and that comes later. No political entity like the Sanhedrin, like the, the disciples thought it might mean. He was talking about his church. He was talking about the rule of God in his church being imparted on this world, in this world, supernaturally. Started out unimpressive, that mustard seed, that little powdered yeast going into the dough, and it grew. The only way this happens is if he builds it. Let me say that again. You can't build the kingdom of God. The Lord does it. He does it through the Holy Spirit. He allows us to participate in the effort, but we don't really do it. He does it. He's the one who gets the credit. He's the one who's in authority. It's his kingdom. That's why his name is on it. Now, when did this kingdom begin? Wow, I'm going to run out of time, and I'm about halfway through. So I guess this... Whoa. I guess Siri liked my sermon here, my message, because it just spoke to, spoke to me. Okay. Hey, hey, Apple. I hope you get saved. Jesus is Lord. Um... <laughs> when did the when did this begin? When did the foundation for the kingdom of God get laid, laid, built on Mount Sinai, on that Pentecost, on that Shavuot, when he wrote the law on the tablets? That was the first foundation. Our brother Michael and I were talking about this today. We're talking about the first tablets and what they were. They were blue sapphire. Um, but what happened? He gives them the foundation of the law on those tablets. Moses comes down, sees that they've made the golden calf, that Aaron has been seduced into doing that. He gets angry and he breaks them. Then he has to go up and get a different set. What that showed me was the original foundation for the kingdom, which would have been built on that, was broken by Moses in his anger against the people not being ready for it. That first foundation got cracked, but it got restored, but couldn't open for business until another Pentecost came. So the arrival of the Messiah brought it closer to opening for business, to the sovereign rule, gave us back sovereign rule over the spiritual, over the supernatural realm. And once the day of Pentecost came in Acts chapter 2, the kingdom of God was open for business, and it began the final progression to the day of his return, which is why they stopped teaching about the kingdom of God, because it's already there spiritually, and it's already begun. The fullness of the kingdom will not happen to an unspecified time in the future. We know what the signs are because we see them in Matthew 24, verses 3 to 14, the signs of the times and the end of the age. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when all these things will be, 
and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Yeshua said, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of the sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You'll be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. Many will be offended and betray one another, will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. That's the progression that we see in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. He comes to judge the nations, and he brings the end to the kingdom age. But I have so much more here. I'm going to stop there. And obviously... He designed it this way because next week, just before Pentecost, we will conclude the message of the kingdom of God, the kingdom way, and the awakening remnants so that we can walk into it. Father, I come to you now in the name of your Son. I pray that every word, every revelation, everything that has been shared has stirred something in someone, that each has received it in a different way, that their eyes of en- their enlightenment would be opened and they would know what the riches of th- their calling in you is that they would answer the call, they would do what must be done, they would receive what must be received. The yeast that you've put in them spiritually would now begin to grow. The seed is now a tree. It's time to move forward. It's time to walk in this. It's time for the enemy, instead of attacking us, to be defending their property, their lands, their homes, their possessions, their gold, their jewels, their precious stone. They shouldn't be aggressive. They should be on defense because we're going to go. We're going to go out into all the world. We're going to take back what they've stolen and we're going to take theirs too. We're going to kick down their gates. We're going to plunder their their strongholds. We're going to take the souls and the people that they've taken. We're going to rescue our sons and our daughters, our brothers and our sisters, our husbands, our wives, our friends, our relatives. We're going to take back what they've taken and we're going to take some more. We're going to plunder them. We're going to begin to take authority over the areas that they have ruled with impunity. And we say to them right now, the kingdom of God is here. The power of the kingdom is here. The servants of the kingdom are here. And we walk in the power of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We walk in the authority of those three. And we come to you and we declare and decree, not like the watchers did of old, but with a different authority, with the authority of the king who has been delegated to us to say this to you. The king is coming. The king is coming. Receive. Folks, receive this. Yeah, I sound crazy. Yeah, I'm a little jacked up. The spirit fire is burning really hot right now. And I'm holding myself down. I'm keeping from running around this room. You can't hear it, but I've been running. My feet have been running and moving the whole time I've been sitting here to disperse some of that energy out of my body. I want to go. I want to do, I want to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. I want to see the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. I want to see the dead be raised. But for the glory of the king, for the glory of the Lord, I want to see the kingdom built. I want to see the things needed for the kingdom to get done. I want to see all the things that we've been called to do happen in this time. Yeah, I know it's bad. Yeah, I know some crazy things are going on out there. I covered them in Overwatch. Baby steps to Babylon, but we know Babylon falls. We know it's a fallen kingdom. It can't withstand the coming of the king. And I tell you what, it can't withstand the coming of the kingdom warriors. It just can't. The sword we have been folded a thousand times. It is the best sword that's ever been built in the world. It's sharpened on a grinding stone that is from heaven. 
that sword of the word and the spirit that is within us makes us more than conquerors through him who loves us. I want you to stop whining. I want you to stop moaning and groaning and saying, woe is me. And I want you to grasp the reality of the kingdom of God in your life and decide whether you're going to be a participant or a spectator. Being a spectator is fine, but that's never been my goal. My goal is to be a participant. I pray that you receive this in Yeshua's name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio. Advancements in the medical field are giving nurses faster, more effective results than ever before. They should expect the same from their education, too. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format allows you to set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move faster through your program. So the faster you move, the more money you save. When you're ready, we'll be here. Visit capella.edu for a trial course at no cost to you. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. Advancements in the medical field are giving nurses faster, more effective results than ever before. They should expect the same from their education, too. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format allows you to set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move faster through your program. So the faster you move, the more money you save. When you're ready, we'll be here. Visit capella.edu for a trial course at no cost to you. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter.